Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Probably almost felt guilty being like, did we push this person into doing this? But I mean, no normal person when they snap does that. He definitely, as you said, would have been a serial killer otherwise. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. You guys, when are we going to record together? I feel like I've had enough. Uh, whenever you guys want, we can do a distance recording some anywhere. I mean, I would love to do that. I would love that too. Anywhere that has a gigantic room, we can sit in with the the windows open and talk towards the windows. Would be yes. Nice. yes, with a fan blowing. It'll be good sound quality. Not that any of that would like screw up the sound at all. But you know what? We'll fi- we need to figure something out. This we would do. this needs this to is... be an invention. Yes. All right, Billy, Billy. What day is it today? It's you know what, and I think this applies to both of you. Oh. It's work like a dog day. All right. Mm. Thank you, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Is that come? I'm the head bitch. You work like a dog, Alexis. I work sporadically like a dog when it at the very last moment. Guys, it's slim pickings. No, it's not, Billy. It's Green Peppers Day. It's World Oyster Day. Oh, my God. Billy, it's because Billy has the palate of a five-year-old. He didn't think anyone would like oysters, but me and Jack had them in San Diego last week, and it was delightful. We were raving oysters. I was like, all you know what sounds like the opposite of quarantine? Oysters. Oyster. And they were. It was great. It was. I felt normal for one second. So I was excited about this day. Billy, this is why I have to look up all the days because Billy just doesn't even realize when a great day is sitting right in front of him. Do you know what, Jack? I'm going with International Traffic Light Day, which is true (laughs) because it is there. We're doing that. We're sticking to it. I hate that one. (laughs) All right. Well, gross, but that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Hello, 
there's no doubt that your high school years are formative. They are, in essence, defining. If you hated high school, thinking back to those years can arouse feelings of inadequacy or insecurity, even hatred for the kids that were mean to you. Or maybe you consider high school to be your glory days. Maybe you were the quarterback, the head cheerleader, the star of the school play, or perhaps even the valedictorian. But what if, when you looked back at your high school experience, rather than nostalgia, you instead felt the pang of trauma and the reverberation of fear? What if your high school experience caused you to never feel safe again, never trust the person sitting next to you again, or never let your guard down ever again? That's exactly what happened to the students attending Danvers High School in 2013. And today's case takes us back to October 22nd of 2013. The songs topping the charts were Royals by Lord and Katy Perry's Roar. The movies and theaters were 12 Years a Slave, Bad Grandpa, and The Harvest. And the setting for today's case is Danvers, Massachusetts, which is a suburban town of 26,000 people that sits about 20 miles northeast of Boston. Danvers has a sordid history because the Salem Witch Trials of 1692 occurred in several of Massachusetts' North Shore communities. And Danvers, not Salem, actually served as the witch hysteria's epicenter. Historians source the mass hysteria's catalyst to what was once known as Salem Village, which is now known as Danvers. So while Salem has the Witch Museum and the House of Seven Gables and actually an official town witch, Danvers just sits quietly on the side with this past. And our first degree for today's story is named Clarice, and she was a teenager growing up in this New England town called Danvers. That is where the Salem Witch Trials actually happened. I actually just wrote like a thesis paper on that a few months ago. Um, Yeah, it's uh, that was originally... Uh, New Salem Village. New Salem Village is where the trials happened, not Old Salem Village, which is current day Salem. Um, but I work in current day Salem, so they like really try to push the tourism through that. I feel like two very different extremes within the high school. I didn't really fit into either, but there was like the really like preppy kids who like did sports, and then there was the druggies, and there was like really nothing else. It was autumn in Danvers, and the students at Danvers High School were likely looking forward to the impending Halloween holiday, which is a fun thing to celebrate for most high school kids at any age. And on the afternoon of the 22nd, things at the school unfolded normally. Classes were attended, the bells to mark the end of each period rang out, kids were picked up from school, and after classes ended, sports and extracurricular activities commenced at 4 p.m. Danvers High School had all the standard team sports, which included soccer. And as the school's soccer team began practice, the coach noticed that one member of the team was missing, a 14-year-old freshman named Philip Chisholm. The coach and Philip's teammates remarked that his absence was odd, but, you know, they figured that something must have come up. Maybe he was held after school by a teacher. Maybe he'd gotten detention. There's probably some normal explanation for him not being there. But it was even more odd when Philip didn't show up for the team's junior varsity soccer team dinner later that evening. But here's the thing. Philip was new to this school. He'd only been there a few months after having moved there from Tennessee. And the other soccer team members didn't really know him that well. So when he missed practice and then the team dinner, there weren't any crazy alarm bells going off. But at home, Philip's mother, Diana, was also trying to figure out where her son was. She was expecting him home after soccer practice. And when he never arrived, her concern turned to fear. 
Philip wasn't answering his phone, and he had few friends in town since he was new at the school. So there were very few places that he could have been. So her mind started spinning through all the possibilities, which led her to call the police and report Philip missing at 6.30 p.m. that night. Meanwhile, another set of worried parents were also trying to track down their child after they, too, hadn't returned home from Danvers High School. Peggy and Tom Ritzer had waited hours for their daughter, Colleen, to get home from school. But the difference here was that Colleen was not a student. She was a teacher at Danvers High. Colleen was not only close with her parents, but she lived with them, too, because Colleen was only 24 years old, which made her slightly older than the senior students at Danvers High School. She taught ninth grade algebra, and she was one of the favorite teachers at this school. Colleen communicated with her parents constantly, and if she had decided to do something after work, she would have let them know. So they were worried immediately when they couldn't reach her. Everyone knew Miss Ritzer, including our first degree Clarice. She was gorgeous, young, just she was so sweet. Um, she was vibrant. She just gave off like this really good energy. And um, so everyone said who had her that she was a very like motivational person. Like she really tried to mentor as many students as possible. She was just so positive and friendly. Like no one had a single negative thing to even say about her beforehand. I think like the year before I even had heard people saying that like they really liked this new math teacher, Miss Ritzer. Colleen's father went to the school to look for his daughter. When he pulled into the parking lot, he scanned the whole area to see if his daughter's car was in the lot, and then he finally spotted it. So, okay, does this mean that she was still at school? You know, maybe she stayed late. Maybe her phone had died and she didn't call home. There's probably a reasonable explanation for all this. So he walked inside and started asking around to see if anybody had seen his daughter. My best friend, she was staying after for some community service and was in the building way later than she typically would have been. Like, I think it was like five or six o'clock and um, Colleen's dad came in and approached my friend because she was the first one he saw and said, hi, um, I'm looking for my daughter. She never came home today. Her name's Miss Ritzer. Have you seen her? My friend was like, no, I'm sorry. I've just like been in like the cafeteria setting up for this event. Um, But the office is that way if you want to go check in with them. Colleen's father had no luck finding her at the school. So her parents started calling her friends and seeing if she was with any of them. And when they had no luck there, they reported her missing to the police. So the police have two people who never got home from high school. And with two missing persons reports on the same night, they're going to ask, do these two people have a connection? And in fact, they did. Colleen Ritzer was Philip Chisholm's math teacher, but they had no other connection otherwise. Naturally, the police are a lot more concerned with the disappearance of 14-year-old Philip than they are over 24-year-old Colleen. Philip was a minor and he might be in danger, but Colleen could have been doing any number of things. She could have been out for drinks with a friend. She could be on a date. Anything was possible. Colleen's classroom was checked during the search for her, and there was no sign of her purse or any of her other belongings, which could suggest that she left with someone else and planned to come back for her car later. Meanwhile, news of Philip's disappearance was spreading. Danvers police posted to their Twitter and to their Facebook page to be on the lookout for the missing high school freshman. While the search for Philip was front and center, news that a young math teacher was also missing started to percolate. Then the police received information that came from one of Colleen's friends, who was also a math teacher at Danvers High School. The teacher's name was Sarah Giaquenta, and what she told them was important, and here's why. 
She was aware that both Philip and Colleen were missing. And she said that she had visited Colleen's classroom after school at the end of the day. And inside Colleen's classroom, there were two students who were in there with her. One was a female student who was doing extra work for extra credit, and the other was Philip Chisholm. So this means that Colleen and Philip were together at the end of the day, and now both of them were missing. And naturally, due to the eerie coincidence, the rumors and speculation began. So I remember hearing, I believe like that night, that they were saying there was a Danvers High School teacher that was missing as as well as a Danvers High School student. And I feel like everyone's mind went more like, ooh, like, is there like a young teacher sneaking off with like a student? So what we have now is two searches for both 24-year-old Colleen Ritzer and 14-year-old Philip Chisholm unfolding in tandem. Police learned from Philip's mother that he used an AT&T cell phone. So they contacted AT&T and they asked them to ping the location of a cell. They did, and the ping revealed that Philip's phone was near the Hollywood Hits movie theater. Okay, so this is a relief, but did this mean that Philip was okay? They just had his phone. Or could somebody else possibly have his phone instead of him? The police just didn't know, but they headed to the theater to find out. Once they arrived, the police learned that someone resembling Philip Chisholm had been there. He purchased a ticket for the 4.30 Woody Allen movie Blue Jasmine, and then he left. But where did he go? Meanwhile, the search for Colleen Ritzer continued. By now, the principal of the school had been notified, and she was at the school helping to field questions and help police determine the next moves for each of the two investigations that were unfolded. And the school had a rather advanced security system, and it had a number of security cameras that was capturing dozens, if not hundreds, of angles throughout the entire school. And while the cameras themselves were great, the computer that tethered the entire security system together was not. And not only that, the cameras were not programmed in a way that allowed you to identify a certain camera angle and then pull up that footage and watch it. The cameras were not properly numbered. So for example, the police, they wanted to pull the footage of the camera that would show the doorway of Colleen's classroom. But it wasn't possible to do that easily. So they had to sift through everything. And on top of all that, this computer was incredibly old. You know how old computers are, especially when it's being overwhelmed with large amounts of data and massive files. We've all been there. Your computer restarts, you get the wheel of death, it freezes, it buffers, and just when you think you finally have found the right angle, it restarts again. And that's what police were dealing with. And this is frustrating because we know Philip and Colleen were in that classroom together at the end of the day. So this footage could possibly answer a number of questions and reveal exactly what was going on here. And by now, real concern for each of their safety was sinking in. It was beyond the suspicion that something romantic was going on between them. The tone had changed. And with each passing minute, those involved were becoming increasingly concerned that something sinister was going on. But what exactly? It was truly a race against the clock to figure out what was happening. So officers and school staff were frantically searching the school for any evidence that could reveal where either Colleen or Philip could be. A female officer searching the premises checked in the second floor girl's bathroom that was right near the math classes and right down the hall from Colleen's classroom. In one of the stalls, she discovered some red and brown smears that appeared to be dried blood. Okay, so it's blood. It's a girl's bathroom. 
you know, is this related to what's unfolding or not? Because the remnants of blood were not like this terrifying horror movie amount of blood. It wasn't that much blood. And not only that, it's a girl's bathroom at a high school. So any number of things could explain its presence. But by now it was late and it was dark and neither Colleen or Philip had been located. Each of their families were beside themselves and the sense of urgency for police to locate them was mounting. Philip's mother, Diana, provided as much information about her son to the police that she could in order to give them any clues to help locate him. So she told them that she, Philip, and her two other children had just recently relocated to Danvers from Tennessee and that she was in the middle of a painful and difficult divorce with Philip's father. And Philip had been struggling with the adjustment because he did not want to leave his old high school. And the family, they were living in a basement apartment in her aunt's home in Danvers. Philip had told his mother that the kids at the high school weren't nice, they weren't welcoming, and he said at times he felt bullied. So naturally, the police are thinking, could Philip have run away and headed back to Tennessee to be with his father? They didn't know. Meanwhile, back at the high school, officers and school staff had completed a thorough search of the interior of the school buildings. Right. So they moved outside, searching the perimeter of the school and working their way outward into the wooded area that surrounded the school. Now, if you're familiar with the New England autumn, which I happen to be, you can picture it. Crisp air, a lot of leaves crunching under your feet, and many barren trees with twisted branches that would create an eerie ambiance amidst this search. So if any of you have seen The Blair Witch Project, it's kind of like that. It's scary, it's quiet, and in this situation, you can only imagine that the police, school staff, and Colleen and Phillip's loved ones were feeling the fear at a fever pitch. Because if something sinister is going on against this backdrop, it is very scary. And if they're searching for them in these woods, we can assume that from their perspective, perhaps the prognosis for the situation is not good. I literally would walk through those woods every single day after school to like go to my friend's house because he lived like directly on the other side of the woods from the school. So that was just really weird and surreal. So the search of the exterior school grounds continued and it was right before midnight when law enforcement found a discarded purse in the leaves. There was no wallet inside, but it didn't look like the purse had been outside for long. They kept searching the perimeter, searching for any other clues. And then, lying under a pile of leaves, officers made a discovery that confirmed their worst fears. Lying face up, naked from the waist down, was the body of Colleen. She looked to have been intentionally posed, and her body had clear, sharp force injuries. She was bloodied and had scrapes and dirt all over her body from being dragged. Next to the body, officers found a handwritten note. The only thing written on it were the words, I hate you all. And a green recycling bin was found nearby, and it looked like it had been thrown down at embankment yards away from the body. A search of the surrounding areas also revealed a pair of discarded bloody gloves. And um, the principal at the time actually used to be my elementary school principal, so I had always known her since I was five. And she always was so bubbly and so friendly. And then when they just showed her on TV, it like 
you could just see that literally overnight it like aged her it drained her to just like know that like in her school like that that happened because she was like a pretty strict principal like she was nice but she was strict like you couldn't get away with anything in her school and then this kid just killed one of her teachers which I can only imagine how awful she felt Now, the picture of what really happened was starting to emerge. Colleen Ritzer had been brutally murdered at the school where she worked. Philip Chisholm, her student, also missing, was with her at the end of the day, and now he was missing. We know that Philip's phone was pinged at the movie theater, and we didn't know where he was now. But did a 14-year-old boy really, could he have done this to his math teacher, first of all? If he did, how? But more importantly, why? So news of Colleen's murder began to spread. And on top of the overwhelming grief that everyone was feeling, they also felt fear. Everything, like the whole town, I feel like really like shut down. Like everyone was afraid because like they knew he was still on the loose. And um, there was vigils. They had like sent out, I think like one of those like mass calls to everyone saying that there was going to be grief counseling. Um, and there's grief counseling through the rest of the year. I think it was only supposed to last a week, but it ended up becoming very prevalent to like the staff that it, it was needed for the rest of the year. There were some people who were really traumatized from it. As the shock and horror of the reality of the situation started to settle in across town, a Topsfield police officer was having a much less heart wrenching shift on duty as he was driving down route one North. Now, Topsfield is a neighboring jurisdiction, but he was well aware of the two missing persons cases that were unfolding in his backyard. So as he was driving down Route 1, he spotted a figure walking on the pavement. Now, this isn't the kind of road you're supposed to walk on. It hardly has a shoulder. It's extremely dangerous, especially at night. So this police officer stopped to ask this guy what he's doing, and he offered him a ride. And the officer looks at him and he realizes that this young man matches the description of one of those missing persons from Danvers, 14-year-old Philip Chisholm. Philip was wearing a backpack and the officer, as his protocol, asked him if he had any weapons on him. Philip said yes, he had a knife. After some more small talk, Philip agreed to accompany the officer back to the police station. He was actually caught walking distance from like where I was living at the time, which was really freaky. And I actually, the week before, I'm convinced, me and my dad are both convinced that he broke into my car the week before. Roughly around the time that he had moved to Danvers, a string of like car break-ins started happening. And um, my, it was on my birthday. I was so mad. I, uh, he broke in my car and like, I was stupid and accident off my wallet and like my glove compartment that night and it got stolen. And then like the next week, like week and a half later, once he got caught, the car broke and stopped and they never picked up again. Once at the police station, Philip was questioned and he was acting shifty and suspicious. Police search his backpack and they find a number of curious items. They find a box cutter a ski mask, and a pair of bluish-green underwear. They also find credit cards and a driver's license. The name on the cards and ID? Colleen Ritzer. When he asked them about why he had these things that belonged to Colleen, Philip said that he had first stolen them out of her car in the school parking lot. But when police examined this box cutter a little more closely, they observed what appeared to be specks of blood. And when they pointed this out to Philip and asked him about it, 
He responded flatly, It came from the girl. Meanwhile, officers were still chipping away at being able to view the footage from the cameras in front of Colleen's classroom back at the school. And finally, they were making progress. Pieces of the events that occurred were being revealed in flashes because the footage would eventually reveal what everyone already feared to be true. At first, the surveillance revealed the mundane nature of a regular school day. Colleen was wearing black pants and a purple shirt, leaning in the doorway of her classroom with her arms crossed as the classes ended. A woman then enters, who would later be revealed as a fellow math teacher and friend of Colleen's, Sarah Giaquenta. Sarah is wearing an identical purple and black ensemble because it was dressed like your friend day at Danvers High School. Sarah then walks out of frame, and the footage that comes next flickers like the grainy frames of an old horror film. And here's what they see. Just before 3 p.m., Colleen left the classroom and headed to the bathroom. The faculty bathroom was in use, so Colleen went to the student girl's bathroom instead. One minute later, Chisholm is seen poking his head out of Colleen's classroom, and he starts walking down the hallway right on Colleen's trail. While walking, you watch as he pulls a hood up over his head and puts on a pair of gloves. He then pushes the bathroom door open and enters. Eleven minutes after he enters the bathroom, a female student opens the door and enters the bathroom. Then moments later, she exits the bathroom and hurries away. Then Philip emerges from the bathroom. He's barefoot, with blood on his hands and on his jeans. After changing clothes on the third floor, he's seen wearing all black and a blue pair of sneakers. And then he's seen wheeling a recycling bin into the bathroom. After that, he's seen calmly pushing this recycling bin through the halls and then eventually outside. After leaving the school building, wheeling the recycling bin, he returns about a half hour later and he changes his clothes again. He goes to his locker, then he goes to the second floor girl's bathroom crime scene, and then he walks casually away. And we know what Philip does next. He goes to the movies, he buys a ticket for Blue Jasmine, and it's later revealed that he used Colleen's credit card to purchase his movie ticket. He then went to Wendy's and got something to eat before he started walking around aimlessly and eventually found himself on Route 1 where the Topsville officer crossed paths with him. So now Philip is in custody, Colleen is deceased, and now the police are trying to piece together how and why this happened. And witnesses started to come forward, and they're all revealing pieces of what had occurred before and after. The student who had been in Colleen's classroom with her and Philip after class finished said that she witnessed Colleen and Philip having a conversation, and they're talking about these different innocuous things like China and Tennessee. A mother of one of the students also came forward, and she said that she saw Philip running away from the school well after classes ended. A different mother saw Philip rolling a recycling bin outside of the school. And a third mom said that she saw Philip changing his clothes in the bushes outside of the school building. And then another student came forward and revealed something even more upsetting, that Colleen's murder had been interrupted. And Billy referenced this when he was explaining what the surveillance had captured. A student had walked inside, but Hurley walked away. This female student said that after school, she had entered the second floor bathroom near the math classrooms. She needed to make a phone call. So she took out her cell phone to call her dad. The student didn't think anyone else would be in this bathroom, but when she walked inside, 
into one of the stalls, she saw a flash of someone's naked buttocks. This person was bent over and it was shocking to her. And she made this knee jerk assumption that either two students were having sex or maybe it was a student changing or maybe two students changing. Either way, she saw a flash of whatever it was and bolted out of there before she could really process what she had seen or what she was seeing. And her assumption about what she saw makes sense. There's no reason why this girl's brain would ever jump to the conclusion that a math teacher was being killed by a student in the girl's bathroom just after three o'clock in her school. Because why would someone's brain go there? School is supposed to be safe, but that's exactly what was happening. News of this horrific series of events started to spread through the community. And to say that people were shocked and devastated would be a sickening understatement. I was horrified. That's just so sickening that a 14-year-old, like, thought of all those things. I feel like the part that really freaks me out is, like, he was, like, a scrawny little thing. Like, he was tall, but he was scrawny. School was canceled for, like, a week at least, I think. And, uh, like, people were really really upset. I feel like after that happened, I really didn't want to have anything to do with it. So like I um, opted to not do senior week. I didn't go to prom. I opted to just have my diploma mailed to me. Colleen's autopsy revealed that she had been stabbed 16 times in the throat. Some of them were stabs and some of them were lacerations. She was raped twice, once by Chisholm and once by an object in the woods before being left there. My best friend was still at the school, as was her brother, and their last names actually were like right next to each other alphabetically. So he sat next to him in Miss Ritzer's class. So I remember when it first happened, I, I went over her house that day and I was like, Did you, this kid stick out to you at all? Like, did you, is this shocking to you? And he was like, He was just quiet. He just kept to himself. He was quiet. Yeah, like it, it was shocking. So the thing is, is no one really knew much about him yet. He'd only transferred from out of state like a few months before. And he kept himself the whole time. So like uh, no one really had anything. And it was just shocking because they were like, we didn't even like know this kid. Like he literally just transferred from like Tennessee. But I think my dad said at the time that he was, um, he had a juvenile record in Tennessee, but it was sealed because he was a minor, but they ended up, I think, revealing that. I think the prosecution ended up like revealing that during his case because they were like, well, clearly like he was already a depraved kid and like Danvers didn't get any warning of this. He, I believe he was like a foster kid and he ended up like coming up here. I think that was my understanding. And apparently he already had had a slightly violent record down in Tennessee from what I heard. And who knows, maybe that could be a rumor, but like, if that was a rumor, it would be one that would completely make sense. I feel like the big thing was just, everyone was like, we didn't even like know who he was yet. Like no one even had like the time to get to know him. He was just so quiet. He kept to himself. And I remember being like, but was he like creepy? And they're like, I mean, kind of, but not, I don't know if I'm like thinking that because I'm looking back at it, knowing what he did now, but but there was a Spanish teacher who I'd had the year before who was gorgeous. She was also young. I want to say maybe just a year older than Colleen. And she was like, she looked like a real life Barbie. Like she was so cute. Like her like blonde, blonde hair. She always wore like pink little outfits. And I think when I went to pick up a transcript, I went to see if she was still there because I loved this teacher. I was like, did you have him? She goes, yep. That little freak sat right there and pointed to the like chair, the table he sat at. And I'm like, I don't want to sound insensitive. Was one of your first thoughts, what if it had been me? She goes, absolutely. 
I feel so much for Colleen. I can't lie and not think that like every day I'm so thankful that it wasn't me because I was basically her age. I also had him in my class. Like, I don't know what made him pick her, not me. I, I felt for her too, being like, I can only imagine how traumatized she is since she also had him and was also a gorgeous young teacher. So I completely felt for the people who had specifically bonded with Colleen because she seemed like a very similar personality type where she just really, truly cared about all of the students and their success and their happiness and just was one of those rare teachers that genuinely cared thoroughly about their jobs. And as the news of this unthinkable crime continued to spread, so did the chilling surveillance footage of Philip that depicted him committing the crime step by step as he stalked Colleen and ultimately killed her before wheeling her body out of the school in a literal trash bin. Yeah, it was spooky because I walked down those halls every day. The thing is, is like a lot of like the boy students would like wheel out the recycling. It was not an uncommon thing to see. Big recycling bins that got heavy and it was like the women who like did, did administrative stuff would always be like oh boys like can you help me like roll out these recycling bins like that the thing that was so freaky is if I had been at the school and seen him walking by me wheeling that recycling bin I would not have batted an eye and that's the part that's the most chilling is just knowing that there was every time I'd stayed after school I would literally see people wheeling out those recycling bins so he definitely thought that aspect through a lot it was completely premeditated because if it wasn't in a school with security cameras and all that like who knows maybe he he premeditated it so if he was older and he had better resources and it wasn't in a monitored building like who knows like maybe he could have gone on with it for a while if it had been under different circumstances Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 
10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Philip Chisholm was arrested and the Essex County Grand Jury indicted the 14-year-old on charges of murder, aggravated rape, and armed robbery in connection with the Colleen Ritzer murder. The Essex County DA planned a request that Chisholm be tried as an adult in court. The armed robbery indictment alleges that Chisholm, armed with a box cutter, robbed Ritzer of her credit cards, an iPhone, and her underwear. The aggravated rape indictment alleges that he sexually assaulted her with an object. Students at the school were reeling, and beyond the shock and disbelief, the question of why was at the front of everyone's minds. And Chisholm had said that Colleen made him angry when she said the word Tennessee. So he essentially blamed her for her own death. But we know that Philip is lying because he came prepared. He came armed. He had stayed after school in Colleen's class for no legitimate reason. He wasn't seeking extra help. He wasn't making up any class time. He was waiting for the perfect moment to attack her. And he identified that moment when Colleen got up and went to the bathroom. But there's something to this whole Tennessee thing. If you remember the note that was found next to Colleen's body, the handwritten one that said, I hate you all. We now know that it was written by Chisholm. And we also know that Colleen was a beloved teacher. It's almost like he did this to get back at the school he perceived to have rejected him. A week after Colleen was killed, according to CNN, about 400 Danvers High School students were among the estimated 1,000 people who gathered to pay final respects at the church where the family of the popular math teacher worshipped. Many mourners wore pink, which was Colleen's favorite color, and pink flowers decorated the outside of Andover's St. Augustine Church. The Reverend Peter G. Gorey and his homely offered advice on how to approach Colleen's death. He said, quote, Perhaps we should not ask why or even ask how she died, but rather, why and how did she live? And it's clear that Colleen Ritzer was not your ordinary math teacher, as told by this NBC News article. It said, quote, Colleen Ritzer had the challenging job of getting sleepy, slouching high school students to work geometry proofs, the tedious building of evidence to show that two angles are congruent or two lines parallel. But Ritzer, in her second year teaching at Danvers High School in Massachusetts, had a strategy. She tried to relate geometry to jobs in real 
in the real world. She was relentlessly enthusiastic. She even had a catchphrase, yay, proofs. And less than a week before her murder, she posted this joke. And it said, parallel lines have got so much in common, it's a shame they'll never meet. And also in her class, she had this electronic chalkboard. And every morning, she would put up a picture of the day. It was either a little cute animal, a nature scene, or beaches for springtime. And she would count down the days until summer vacation. And in the same article on NBC, one of her students had said, I actually looked forward to class. She was such a kind person. You would never see her without a smile on her face. She was so excited. After Philip was indicted, the question was then, how would he be charged? He was only 14 years old. But this crime had the earmarks of not only that of a sexually motivated psychopath, but also that of a budding serial killer. This was premeditated. He came to school with a box cutter, a ski mask, and several changes of clothes. He also took trophies. He took Colleen's underwear and her driver's license. And that's exactly what serial killers like BTK and Joseph D'Angelo did. When he left Colleen in the woods, he posed her body in a graphic way. Which is exactly what serial killer Bruce Mendenhall did. This kid may have been 14, but it seems like he was well on his way to doing a world of harm. I do think it's fascinating that he, it's, where would he have learned this? He did similar things that all serial killers do. He took trophies, he posed mm-hmm. her body, he raped her, and then he raped her with an object. It seems so much more adult than what he is, unless it's innately in him. Obviously, I don't know everything about this case, but you would think that they would have pulled up like his search history on the internet. And if he's trying to like, if he's Googling these serial killers or like trying to emulate them as and holding them in this like idealistic thing in his mind, but it doesn't seem like he did. It's almost like this innate urge for him, which is even fucking scarier. Yeah, because... I mean, immediately, him, if he was a student of true crime, potentially, yeah, you know that he wouldn't have used the credit card to go to the no. movies. You know, mm-hmm. so that immediately sort of, I think that, you know, he, he's not like somebody that, at least on the surface, and I don't know that much about this case either, is that he was studying that. And like you said, it's even potentially scarier because it was this innate thing that that somebody like this would do. They would... <sighs> They would do this attack and then take these trophies and then pose a body in that similar fashion. Well, and then it's even scarier, too, because of his age, where it's like all these other serial killers that we're comparing him to are, what, in their 20s, 30s, 40s when they start doing these kinds of things? And he's 14. Like, that's this is one of the youngest cases that we've ever talked about. Like, that is, you're a little a baby at that age to even have those complex thoughts in your head is like completely unbelievable to me. Well, to have that much rage by 14, it's, I understand. I mean, someone like D'Angelo, your rage builds up inside you and you, this guy's 14 and just the rage in him is where did it come from? Why it's, it's really truly baffling. Yeah. You know, just to, to, as this is a starting point is frightening. It was not clear whether Philip would be charged as a juvenile or as an adult, but Philip ended up sealing his own fate on that matter once he entered the juvenile detention facility after his arrest. And one thing that I don't even know if like there's really any news coverage on this 
event that happened. But once he was actually detained in the juvenile facility, like a, a week or two into it, he actually tried to kill a female guard. He like sharpened a pencil and like tried to attack her because I think like leading up to that, they were, there was still a debate of whether or not he'd be charged as a minor or as an adult because he was only like 14. So technically, legally, he would be charged as a minor, but they were like, well, this was a hugely brutal like rape and murder. He mutilated her body. And then he just tried to attack a guard. So like this clearly like, is it wasn't like a mental break or anything because here we are weeks later, he tried to do the same thing. Following the attack of the 29-year-old employee at this detention center, Philip Chisholm was indicted on additional charges of attempted murder by strangulation, assault with intent to murder, kidnapping, and two counts of assault and battery. This woman would have been dead had her coworkers failed to hear her and failed to hear her screams and failed to intervene and help her. So on the heels of what we were just talking about, I mean, he tried to kill this woman in almost the same way. Even though he's in custody, even though mm-hmm. he's been caught, it's like his urges he can't control. It really does seem like he's either a budding serial killer or or maybe his impulses are so immature that the urges are there. But unlike a more advanced serial killer who has self-preservation on his mind, he, his yeah. his brain isn't developed enough to even process that. He just goes with his urges. So Philip Chisholm's case took nearly two years to get to trial. And once again, all of Massachusetts was watching to see what would happen. The prosecution faced a blow when Philip's confession was deemed inadmissible by the judge after they determined that Philip was unaware of his rights. But honestly, the prosecution wasn't really rattled because, as we know, there's copious physical evidence, including surveillance footage associated with this case. And there is another wrench that was thrown into the prosecution's case as well. So remember how I said that there was blood in the girl's bathroom on the day of the murder earlier in the episode, but there wasn't really a lot of blood? Well, that's because the blood had been mopped up by a company contracted to clean the school every evening. It was an honest miscommunication due to something being lost in translation, but it's not really ideal to have your crime scene compromised during a criminal case. But that being said, prosecutors still felt confident about their ability to convict Philip Chisholm. And um, my ex-boyfriend from that exact time, like my high school boyfriend, his aunt was his lawyer. And I remember, I think we were watching the preliminary hearing or whatever on TV. And I remember we were looking, watching it. And I was like, I don't know how like that those lawyers can like sleep at night knowing they're defending him. And he was like, yeah, that's my aunt. I was just like, oh my God, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. And um, I remember, yeah, when we were at his dad's house, I think it was a relative, like his dad's sister or whatever. I mentioned it. I'm like, I don't know how she can do this. And he was like, well, it's not like she really has a choice. Like she's a public defendant. The prosecution painted Philip as essentially a sadistic budding serial killer, as he seems to be. And the defense portrayed Philip as a mentally ill child who was triggered to kill Colleen because she said something that, quote-unquote, triggered him. In 2013, Colleen Ritzer went to work at Danvers High School dressed in a purple sweater and black pants to match her colleagues for Buddy's Day. She carried with her her black Vera Bradley school bag and her purple lunch tote and the knowledge that she was doing the job she'd always dreamed of teaching math. On October 22nd of 2013, when 14-year-old Philip Chisholm arrived 
at Danvers High School. He had in his possession a blue sweatshirt with a hood, gloves, a mask, a box cutter, and a terrible purpose. A terrible purpose that would only truly be uncovered the next day in the woods next to the school by Massachusetts State Troopers with the Massachusetts Crime Scene Services section as they carefully uncovered Colleen Ritzer's lifeless body. The defense followed. Philip Chisholm killed Colleen Ritzer and did unspeakable things to her body. This case is a terrible tragedy. His actions have caused immeasurable pain. We took a long time to select you as the jurors because you promised that you'd be able to put aside the horror and decide the case based on the evidence. So what is this case about? This case is about why did this happen? Why did a 14-year-old boy, well-behaved, quiet, one month into high school, do these terrible things? The defense argued that the prosecution's case primarily focused on what it said was Chisholm's mental illness, arguing that he had experienced a psychotic episode at the time of the crime. When Colleen Ritzer said the word Tennessee, Chisholm flew in into an uncontrollable rage, and it was all Colleen's fault. As the trial neared its end, each side gave their closing statements. When the jury returned, the foreman told the judge that they had, in fact, reached a verdict. You, upon your oaths, do say that the defendant, Philip Chisholm, is guilty of deliberate premeditation and extreme atrocity cruelty on indictment number 2013-1446, charging him with murder in the first degree. So say you, Mr. Foreman? Yes. So say you all members of the jury? Yes. Superior Court Judge David Lowey ordered Chisholm to serve life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years for killing Colleen Ritzer. And then he also had to serve two 40-year prison terms concurrently for her rape and armed robbery. Chisholm cannot seek release until he served at least 40 years in prison, at which time he'll be 54 years old. He is credited for time already served. But remember, Philip would also be facing charges of attempted murder and attacking the staff member at his juvenile facility. So odds of him spending much time out of prison during his span of life is pretty unlikely. After Colleen's life was taken, nothing was ever the same in Danvers. How could it be? So it definitely really affected things. I still, like whenever I go to visit my parents because they still live in that house, like in their neighborhood, I'll see people who still have like uh, Colleen Ritzer bumper stickers. Um, I feel like recently, um, because I'm studying criminal justice, um, I feel like it didn't really hit me of how surreal it was until last week I was in my class taking um like it's an online textbook so it's a video of the actual sentencing of Philip Chisholm and I was like wait this is so surreal it's in Salem District Court I just moved from Salem so I'm like there's like my ex-boyfriend's aunt like there's the kid that was sitting next to my best friend's little brother in class like that I literally used to walk by that court like I was like 
it didn't hit me until like how surreal it was until then. Cause obviously at the time it was like really, really freaky. And I was very freaked out. The movie theater that was in our town was actually shut it down like a year later. Like no one wanted to go there after so that movie theater is just out of business now. And it's like, now it's just really creepy because nothing else ever went there. So it's just like this run down old closed theater that everyone just knows this kid went to like directly after he killed someone. It was known for being the theater that Philip Chisholm went to after he killed Miss Ritter. Like that was, it was just so creepy. Despite the despair associated with Colleen's loss, Clarice observed one silver lining. My brothers are like significantly younger than me. They're only juniors in high school right now. And my parents still live in the same house as I said. So they're going to Danvers High School. Um, and they said that like no one bullies anymore. Which made my jaw dropped to the ground. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, no, like the only time you'll get a hard time is if like people think you're intolerant now which shocked me. And I'm wondering if it's because of the fact that someone like just a few years before they started, like murdered someone because they felt like they were being so badly bullied. Like, I don't know if maybe they just actually started taking that issue seriously because like you, obviously you hear on TV things like Columbine where like kids were bullied to the point of shooting up the school. And like, I almost wonder like, if that was something that he had considered since like a big reason he noted for his frustration, as you said, was the fact that he felt bullied in this like very clicky town. I wonder if he considered that really crazy to me that it's changed so much. And I really wonder if it's because of what happened with Philip Chisholm. Six years later, Colleen Ritzer is far from forgotten. Her family set up the Colleen Ritzer Memorial Scholarship Fund for students in the community who have dreams of pursuing degrees in education. It's still very prevalent in that area. Like, I don't think that anyone who was, like, at the high school at the time, like, really fully, like, recovered from my ex. That wasn't even that long ago. Even a girl I went to high school with now, she just became a math teacher, um, like, one town over. And she had shared on Facebook, like, her, like, bio for, like, the high school. And she said that she became, like, a math teacher because she was so inspired by, like, Colleen. There's there's still girls who I know who will post on her birthday every year, which saying, like, today would have been her birthday. This one girl who used to be friends with my roommate, her first tattoo she got was, like, a Colleen Ritzer dedication tattoo. Like, people, like, really, really, like, took it to heart because... Everyone who had had her as a teacher just thought she was one of the most wonderful people. Colleen Ritzer had her entire life ahead of her. And by all accounts, she was a wonderful, amazing person. This should not have happened to her, but it did. And in a way, the world will never be the same because of it. This crime is one of the scariest species of crimes, one that there's no prevention for. One that kicks you in the face because you couldn't have dreamed of a nightmare this horrific an unexplained and gruesome act committed by the quiet kid in your math class. And you know what people say sarcastically, it's always the quiet ones. Only in this case, it was true.
So big, big thank you to Clarice for being our first degree today. And before we say goodbye, if you're moved by Colleen's story, as we were, please visit ColleenRitzerScholarship.com to donate to the Colleen Ritzer Memorial Scholarship. And if you have a story you would like to tell, please email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. If you're on Instagram, which everybody is, you can follow us at the first degree at Billy Jensen at Alexis Linkler. Slink letter. Oh. Leave it in. Slinky link letter in the house. <laughs> Find me on IG. Alexis Slink letter. Oh my God. <laughs> At Jack Vanek. Uh, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Instagram. Clarice is in there. Some. Our first degree oh, Clarice is? is in there. Yeah. Yeah. She's been in Go for a say while. hi to Clarice. And stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers keep your friends close but not (laughs) not that close oyster day bitch no billy holla Sources for today's episode include court documents, Boston Magazine, CNN, the Boston Globe, the Boston Herald, and NBC News. And remember, our first three guests is always our largest source. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Okay, well, welcome to yet another episode of Killing Time. Before we pressed record, we were having a little debate on whether Billy Jensen is funny or not. The answer is no. <laughs> yeah, and I'll say I have a specific demographic uh, that that is not based on you know millennial humor because like the Gen Z, X. no Gen X, which is what you're a member of. Gen Z yes. is the TikTokers. Um, yes. Gen X is like you guys are kind of aloof and like it's you're kind of like me right you're like kind of like lethargic and like no what's funny is that the gen xers are always like they feel hidden and which which was so funny about when the boomers were going against the millennials nobody was even talking about the gen xers and we liked it that way we're the grunge kids we're just in the corner alone stupid and contagious just the ones who were like into grunge what about the other ones we don't count them Okay, so, so you, a very small portion. Yeah, we only count Winona Ryder and uh, Ben Stiller. Do you identify with Daria? 
Uh, definitely. Yeah. That's like Daria is a Gen Xer. R- Daria is very much Gen X. Yeah. Like that's like your mascot. So affected. Yes. So affected. Yeah. I mean, I loved Daria. I loved. Did you watch Daria, Alexis? I loved Daria. I'm sure yeah. you loved Quinn, Quinn. like me. <laughs> yeah, I loved Quinn. Yeah. She was the best. She was. No, it's like Daria, and you could say that also Beavis and Butthead were from the same time period too. They might have not been the grunge kids. They were sort of like the, the, the stupid the, kids, maybe the stupid metal kids. Or well, something. Not well, that metal kids stalkers. are stupid. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. were like the burnouts. They, they uh, were just like the deadbeats. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, He'll what are our questions? That's <laughs> got awkward. Um, so we still have some questions left from the Facebook group, and then I pulled a few random ones. But I'm going to start off with this because Alexis and I had a conversation about this the other week, and it's what is the story of your name? And Alexis, I thought that your story of your non-name um, was quite interesting. <laughs> okay. So in my family, they do sort of the matriarchal name passed down. In, in every generation of my family, there's a Eve or Eva or Ava, and it's sort of everyone, if you have a daughter, sort of names your firstborn that. So I was born, and they were like, oh, I'm not going to be traditional, and they named me Alexis. And then my sister was born, and they named her Eve. And I was like, <laughs> "Wow, what the f- – what? not that I – I like my name, but I was like, you built well, me why not?" To- why not? Was I not the the right? You're like, yeah, every family needs a matriarch, but this this baby just doesn't feel like it. So <laughs> we're going to wait to see. And maybe we won't get another one. Maybe this is our only chance, but still, no. Not worth it. No, not, not, not even baby. worth chancing it. Not even worth, yeah. not even a middle name chance. So <laughs> let's just wait. Maybe we'll never have another kid, but if we do, that'll be the that'll be the eve of this family. And congratulations, Eve. You listen to this podcast. You are the favorite. You're also an architect. So my parents were right. <laughs> <laughs> they got it right. They knew they they're, they're, right. there's something in their bones. They're like, you know what? This is, and, this and you, went to Cornell. Cannon. You, went, you went to Cornell, you don't eat animals. You volunteer, you rescued a dog. They gave, they made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Billy, what was, what's the origin of your name? Were you going to be named anything else? Is there any special uh, ties to your name? If I was a girl, I was going to be Leia, which, oh. grow, you know, being born in 1972 at five years old when Star Wars came out would have made my life probably difficult for a while. But um, but I was a boy, so I was uh, Billy after my dad because my dad wanted to create a little mini-me. 
Oh, that's yeah. cute. Um, I was I my mom had a few different names for me, and they were all fucking cool. My my other possible names were Skylar, which I would go by Sky, Raven, and then wow. Veronica, which I don't like, but I Sky or Raven, Raven's so good. good. And and then my dad was like thought that they were too hippie, so then they just wanted to go with Jacqueline. And then thank God I changed it to Jack because it's just like Jacqueline's beautiful. But I, I like Jacqueline. I feel like I'm made to be like a raven. I might name my firstborn raven. I love that. Well, my my parents were supposed to. Okay, they almost had December on the birth certificate. They wanted to name me December, and I'm like, damn it, that would have been cool. That's a good name, and that's so fitting. But then is it like because you were born in December? Like, is that too on the nose? Yeah, I think that's the point. Um, okay, this was a fun one I saw online. If your life were a movie, what genre would you be? Somebody else go first. Yeah, I mean, I would say noir, but then it really would be <laughs> tragic comedy at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah you're not that cool, dude. <laughs> it's not noir. Come on. No one's that cool. That's what I said. Really I said like tragic just, comedy. Just like just like no, your life is great. No, listen to me. You could Yours take Yours could be any, like an it, uplifting like PBS documentary. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, a documentary. Yeah, okay. That's like bringing other genres into the mix. Yeah, I think so. I feel like mine would be like a like a ninety, like a nineties quirky, like coming of age, like a she's all that, like kinda. she's all that kind of thing, yeah. But like with a nineties, like definitely like or nineties, early two thousands, can't timeline. hardly wait kind of thing, yeah. Or like a ten things I hate about you. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel like it deep in my bones. Mm, I can't answer this for myself because. I don't know. Jack, Billy, what do you guys think my life would be like? Well, I feel like yours could, like, yours needs to be something where there's always, like, always the worst case scenario ends up happening within the movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Mine could also be, like, a rom-com. Like, maybe I'm leading up to the thing. Maybe all the, like, disasters are leading up to, like, somebody tricks me and I break my face and then my plastic surgeon (laughs) is the love of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is a... That is a great premise to life. Like, and he's like, and then he's like, I'm gonna make you exactly what I want. And then he changes my whole face, and then falls in love with me. And what if it's actually like his dead wife? And it's like plot twist. It's a horror movie, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yes, <laughs> literally would happen. It's like he loves me for me. He's literally holding up a picture of someone else as he's designing that- my face. <laughs> that is right. a fantastic it, idea for a movie. Like, yes. and he and he's like, I'll fit. And he, he does it like pro bono because he feels bad for you. He's like, I just got to really. This woman is down on her luck, and I really got to help her out. And, and then he like masterpiece. That's a great movie. Okay, no last question. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, marine biologist. Really, but I didn't know what it was. I wanted to train whales at SeaWorld, and now I see what a dark, convoluted mm. idea that is. But at the time, I just loved whales and dolphins so much. I didn't know they were unhappy. And then when I got older, I woke up and all my childhood loves went away. I know. You know, I went to SeaWorld like 
it was like a year before I watched Blackfish and then like the truth came crashing down and I was like, I knew something felt weird here. It didn't feel right. <laughs> no fish that big should be in a tank. <laughs> that tank is only like 10 feet larger than this entire killer whale. This seems mm-hmm. not correct. And nobody comment. I know whales are not fish. That was making it a joke. That's fine. Billy, what do you want to be when you were up when you were a kid? It went from garbage man to professional baseball player to professional hockey player to rock and roll star then <laughs> to this. <laughs> did you even did you even play baseball? Yeah, I sucked. Oh my god, yeah, the body player. type yeah. is not a good baseball body type. No. No, a, I was a much better hockey player, although I weighed like I weighed 160 pounds soaking wet. But yeah. Well, Billy, you can still live out your rock star dreams when you and Jared start start your goth uh, country band. That's true. And I did I did turn into I, I ended up playing professional roller hockey, so I did fulfill that dream. So all right, everybody nice. follows professional yeah. hockey. Everyone loves it. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> how are your, how your fish whales doing over there? <laughs> I changed my mind really early on about what I wanted to be. <laughs> well, I wanted to be, well, my first like thing I ever wanted to be, well, I thought I was going to be Britney Spears, like number two. And right. then I thought, I think my parents also thought I was going to be a child actor. And they used to drive me up to LA from Orange County every Thursday to take acting classes from like this world renowned acting teacher. And I thought I was going to, I thought I was going to be in like McDonald's commercials and like all this stuff. And I was like right there on like the precipice of it. And then I stopped. (laughs) You turned apathetic and then started your own company because you didn't want to work for anybody. Yeah. Well, this is when I was like, can you imagine you, auditioning for things as an adult no that's it's like it wasn't in me like and you know that 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 drive what you have to really want to be an actor to be a a successful actor because it doesn't look fun to try to be one it it looks fun to be one no it doesn't look fun to try it looks fun to just be yeah to just be famous and rich looks tight as hell but you know didn't happen no, so but that's for the best. You created a different better world. I think you're, be- I think you're way yourself. way better off. Yeah. Oh my god, me as a child actor. No, thank you. All right. Yeah, well, all I think we killed now too. I'd be so fucked up. I'm fucked mm-hmm. up as enough as it is. Same. All right, we killed some time. We killed some time. Fourteen forty-two. Beep. Boop. Beep. Beep. Want to beep, Billy? Beep. I see again. I did beep, but then flops my jets. You can live out your master chef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.